1: City of Chronicles is a Maya Chronicles production.
0: Hello, and welcome to our. Latest edition of the Seria Chronicles Q&A, because we know you would miss too much if we only dropped into your podcast inbox once a week. So we come along an extra time every week to answer your questions that you send us um, in between podcasts. Um, it's me, Nikki Bandini. I have with me, as ever, to answer your questions, the wonderful Mina Riziki. We've all just about recovered from Mina's uh, limerick in uh, this week's uh, main podcast. <laughs> Amazingly, I don't have any questions for you about that, Mina, but I do have a question for you about Juventus. So I'm going to jump right in with this one. Uh, Evan Sardo uh, wrote in to ask us, what would you propose as the best in-house solution for the Juventus midfield? Weston McKinney has knocked in a few goals lately, but results haven't exactly been positive. Is there Any hope for the Locatelli-McKinney partnership? What do you think?
1: I mean, the best solution is to just chuck them all out and keep Locatelli um, and try to find <laughs> <laughs> whatever we can in uh, any underage category to shove right Are we just time.
0: stripping it back now to like a literally like not even fielding 11 players? Just put Locatelli out there, Chiesa and Chesney and say, off you go.
1: Let's hope so. Um, and that's actually pretty mean <laughs> because McKenny scored obviously in, in two games in a row. And I do think that he's getting, um, he's sort of rediscovering himself. So I, I am a little bit pleased with his performances even if he wasn't exactly fascinating against Fiorentina but some games will go for you some will go against you but listen to me any midfield that does not contain Rabiot is perfect for me yeah <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I mean, listen, even the French were criticizing their own player. You know, it's not that Rabiot is terrible. I get it. He has the physique. He knows how to do a few things. And actually, at least on a tactical level, sometimes he covers gaps. But I just don't see really the value and that he brings in. And I would like, I would like a formation that it is. Locker tell you is more of a direct because it seems like that's where Allegri is heading in that direction. McKenney to be somebody that can be a little bit more box to box, um, add something to going forward, add something going back, but a little bit more of a reliance on actual wingers, you know, uh, and since, let's be honest, you have Kayser, you have Bernardeschi, you have so many different players that know how to do this, Kulisevsky, you know, and then maybe have Dybala or Morata and just have a team where actually everyone plays in their place. But I would prefer two midfielders. I think that's what they did against Tennessee in Petersburg. I think that's what makes it look so good. I think it unleashes the attacking force of the team if you can push them higher up. Um, It's just about knowing how to protect yourself. And it seems like uh, Allegri is a lot more scared of the attacking forces within Serie A than he is of the attacking forces within the Champions League. But for me, yes, that is the two, that is the solution because I don't know when Arthur's ever really going to be ready. When can consider how much physical problems he has suffered throughout his career. And if anyone watched, there was a documentary on on Brazil in which he really doesn't like to play with any pain whatsoever. He can be quite fantastic. But he isn't somebody that I am going to say to you on a physical point of view, I can depend on. And Bentancourt, I mean, he's far too disappointing, far too inconsistent. I've yet to really see the potential that everyone has spoken of. It's not, again, he's not a bad player. He's just not a Juventus level player. Neither he, neither Rabio, Aaron Ramsey um, or... Well, really, I'm not even sure McKenny is, but I know that Locatelli is. And so he is the only firm and fixed point that I like. But McKenny next to him, for me, seems to be the most reasonable solution. What do you think, Nikki?
0: We're well, obviously, in the main um, episode this week with Gab, we talked about Juventus' uh, issues at, at some length. And, and perhaps we still didn't um, get into this sort of specific topic uh, as much. But I I don't know. I don't know how you make a, a midfield that I'm going to feel really good about out <laughs> yeah. of what Juventus have right now. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of players who right off the bat, you just think, well, they're not going to be there very often. Uh, Aaron Ramsey, we've basically, I think in our minds, probably all discarded at this point because he's there so rarely. And, and now it seems that the club is, is working to, to move him on. Uh, Arta has been injured so often and, to me, honestly, I haven't been that impressed when he's been on the pitch. It's my feeling about him. Uh, I share your feeling that I don't know still what Adrian Rabio is as a midfielder. I don't know how he, how he fits into to any midfield, honestly. Um, And Ben Tanker, at least I'm looking at him thinking, well, I I've had periods when I've been quite high on you. I think you've got talent. I think I, I can... Can understand you as a midfielder and, and find a, a job for you, and I think McKenney kind of goes into that same bracket. I, I, I'm not; I'm just not that high on McKenny, and I, I feel like I've sort of moderated um, how I say that because uh, he's a young player and and there's still uh, time for him to to, to mature and to learn things in a new context. I think that there was just so much desire for him to be brilliant that some of what got reported about him when he first got to Juventus was was overhyped, in my opinion. I think there was such a sort of desire for him to be something more than he was. But that doesn't mean he's not, again, in the context that Juventus midfield that doesn't mean he's not one of the better options they have. Um I continue to think that he's a bit of a a sandlot player who who does some of his best work in chaos. I'm not sure he's a very structured midfielder. Um I don't think he's technically um a a really really high level midfielder. Of course, anyone who's playing in Serie A is a high level midfielder, but do I think he's at the level of where Juventus are trying to be? I, I, I'm not convinced. But does he give you something? Yes, he gives you, um, there's probably an American word for it that would be better, but Grinta, he gives you hard work. He gives you, you graft when he's switched on. He gives you, uh, aggression and combativeness and, and he gives you goals and all of those things are useful. So do I think he's part of the best in-house solution for Juventus today? Maybe. Because who else am I putting into that that conversation? I mean, am I putting bernardeski to be part of that conversation, or Kulisevsky, or someone? I'm out of midfielders. <laughs> um, but do I think he's what Juventus should be building around? I, I'm more sceptical at that point. You know, Locatelli's a, a really good midfielder, and you can build something around that. Do I think that McKennie is who Juventus should aspire to have, being that guy in another? Two years time, honestly, from what I've seen so far, no. But maybe there's a level that he can still go to that I haven't seen yet.
1: You know, it's funny because right now I would take, you know, even the bench warmers that other teams have. You know, like Deme, because obviously Anguiss has been so wonderful that he's not playing for Napoli. He's also had injuries, but I, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to have him. You know, I'd love to have Sensi. If it is going to be Tonali and Cassi, then may I have Benesse? Obviously, that's not going to work out. But these are really great midfields, you know, when you're looking at Inter, when you're looking at Milan. And sadly for Juve, barring Locatelli, I don't genuinely see any talents. And it's a far cry from the years when we had Arturo Vidal, obviously Andrea Pello, Claudio Marchisio, Paul Pogba. even, Even the likes of Pereira, who's at Udinese right now. I miss him. You know, he's an attacking mid. But my God, at least there was something there. There was some beauty to the game. Obviously, Khadira and Matuidi miss them all. But that's the one section that Juventus really need to work on. And I think it's the one section that's been missing a lot in the last few years. Okay, should we go on to... Oh, good. Next question I'm going to ask you, Nikki. And this is from Netanel Sundi on Instagram. Is that how I would say that? Nikki, help me out. Is that Netanel?
0: Yes. yes. I, I, I sort so. of because it looks like because it looks like in my head a name I'm more familiar with, which is Nathaniel. Me too, my brain I wants it was Nathaniel. Nathaniel, but that's <laughs> but that's not how it's spelled. So I, I would go with Netanel and and Netanel, if you're listening. Well, correct us if we're wrong.
1: Yes, please. Um, but uh, the question is why doesn't Strakosha play for Lazio? Not long ago he was a very promising goalkeeper. Oh, I like Scofed, which my friends always laugh at me because I still love Scufed. And now a goalkeeper who saved a balloon is playing before him. Who saved a balloon. So why doesn't Strakosha play for Lazio, Niki?
0: Um, I think the short answer is unfortunately because, and this happens to so many goalkeepers, doesn't it? Um, the good performances get outweighed uh, at a certain point by specific blunders. Um, so actually, um even this season, Sakosha is playing for Lazio. He's, he's been playing in, in the Europa League games, or at least he was. But, uh, unfortunately, he's had some absolute, um, I'm just trying to think of myself. Did he play against Marseille? He did play against Marseille. So he's still playing in the Europa League, ga- in the Europa League games, in fact. Um, but he's had some, some blunders, even in relatively few games. He had an absolutely, uh, shocking moment against Galatasaray already in, in the Europa League this season. And, Goalkeeping is such a specific position um, that you can be a really great defender 90% of the time, but if you are going to, in the other 10%, do things that are really, really critically bad, it, it's too costly for your team to keep you there. And I think we've seen that with um goalkeepers at, at, at all different levels. We've seen that you know, that's, again, that's how it, Liverpool end up with Allison, isn't it? Because they have a panic about the fact they haven't been able to have a goalkeeper that they can rely on. And so they go out and spend the money on, on one who they can. I think, um, I think Stakosha, maybe it would be good for him to, to, to be somewhere else, to have a new context, to wash all of those mistakes away and start over. I think he's, he's not an irredeemable talent because he's got talent. And I suppose you could even look at someone like Chesney, who ended up leaving Arsenal because of a perception of too many mistakes and, has gone on something better at events, even though he still makes some mistakes. But in the end, the the short answer to that question is too many big mistakes. And Pepe Reina, while probably not at this age capable of some of the the highs that Sir could make, some of the eye-catching saves, simply is making less game-losing blunders. I mean, I think this is such a perfect
1: response. There's really very little for me to add. But I I will say that one thing that Maurizio Sarri loved about Pepe and Napoli was that he had such a voice. He always spoke in the dressing room. He knew how to communicate with his defenders. He knew how to communicate with the team in every way, to push them on, to rally them on when they were losing, when they were winning, whatever it may be. He loved his voice. And I think... That's the difference because Chesney could be doing, for example, a lot better for Juventus. But my issue with him will be obviously there are lots on on a technical level, but mostly that sometimes I don't think he communicates as well. And and I think that's a a major thing that we don't sometimes talk about because you it is about a unit and it's about how well every team understands to say leave that for me or, or speaks loudly or move here or close that gap or whatever it may be. And I think you know, you could see straight away that Donnarumma had that leadership, and and I guess perhaps on on for Strakosha, the communication necessarily wasn't there on a defensive level. But with Pepe Reina, I think that's one of his superpowers at the back. He's always been such a leader. So whatever that he missed out on on or can do on a on a purely technical physical level, I think that he more than made up for with his brain and um, and communication just his ability to really be a, a captain at the back.
0: All right, Mina, next one for you, which is from Jill in Schaaf. I'm, I'm not sure where that is, Jill, but um, Jill. Anyway, thank you for the, the question. Uh, Jill asks, uh, do you think Daniel Maldini should move on loan from Milan as he isn't getting any game time? Mina, what do you think?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, I know that a lot of people think that when that when youngsters are trying to find space, whether or not, you know, it's a question of moving on or not. It obviously depends on what you can provide a team and uh, others when they are really not finding the space and it's a good moment to go. But Brahim Diaz was sort of the number two, I felt, to Chananognu and now Maldini is the number two to Brahim Diaz. But for me, I thought it was interesting when Giroud was talking recently in an interview, And they were talking about players that he's been impressed by. And he actually did mention Daniel Maldini and and talked about him as somebody that, you know, he's interesting to watch. I think he offers a difference in skill to what we're seeing from the rest of the team. He's young, so there shouldn't be too much pressure applied to him. But he is in a club that is one that is so deeply rooted to his family's history. His father is a director. So despite there being pressure, he actually feels a-, a home there and it's w- such a close tie that he's somebody that I feel will probably be a little bit like a Francesco Totti or then Piero's like, I've got to make it in this team. I don't want to have to move somewhere else to prove myself. And um, At least this is just me assuming this, so I don't know. But I do believe that he will be given his chances because if there's any coach that I would want to help me with my progression, it would be Stefano Pioli. And he's talked about the fact that Pioli comes so often and speaks to him. He calls him up. He tells him tips of what to do, how to train. And he feels very close to him that he can call up his coach and ask for advice. You know, am I going to be played here? What should I do here? How can I affect the game in a different way? And having that kind of relationship with a coach is really important. And there are so many that simply would love to have it. So if you do have that, don't take it for granted, because I really do think sometimes football is changing. And when you are a team like Milan that has to win at all times, having the ability to be a winner as well as working for a coach who has the time to talk to you all the time is something that I I would do everything in my power to keep.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think it's a really great point. We've talked so much in the podcast about, um, Pioli's man management and, and how that's his great asset. And, um, why wouldn't you want to be around that? Um, I actually, I have two cousins, uh, who, um, uh, played professionally and were in uh, the youth team at Inter and, and very different experiences, but certainly, um, one of them who went on to do a, a number of loan moves. And I, and I really got a very sort of, first-hand uh, accounting through that of of some of the frustrations that can happen when you end up going on loan somewhere and that situation turns out not to be what you hope it is because a manager who was there when you go somewhere on loan ends up losing their job after two weeks or something like that. There were some situations like that and then you end up with a new manager who isn't interested in you, who doesn't know how to use you or wants you to do something different. I think you have to be very thoughtful if you're a young footballer about those opportunities. Now that doesn't mean that there couldn't be some, because that undoubtedly there would be uh situations for Daniel Maldini where he could go and play more than he is right now. That's certainly true. Yeah. Um and if you're really sort of uh, thoughtful in, in picking your loan move, I'm sure you could pick one where there's some stability, but certainly at Milan, that there is a, a huge amount of stability and a manager who you know is is good at working with young players. The the one counterpoint that I would give, Mm. and this would be the argument for doing it, um, I'll say, first of all, I'm fairly certain Maldini did turn down a loan move in the summer. I think there was an opportunity for him within Serie A and he didn't take it. The counterpoint is just because of his name, he's under a degree of scrutiny Anyway, but even more so while he's at Milan that is way beyond what anyone else is facing. And, you know, he did come off the bench in both of the Champions League games against Porto. And right at the end of the home game, he actually ends up taking a corner and it was a horrible corner at a time when Milan were chasing that goal to win the game. And you have got all of this sort of, internet reaction to that oh shouldn't be being given this responsibility shouldn't be um the one kicking that most important corner at the end of the game and I think that is a level of pressure and scrutiny that he's going to get at Milan that perhaps he wouldn't if he was at just to pull a name out of the hat Spezia I mean I'm not suggesting Spezia as a destination I don't know if that's yeah. a that link to him I'm just first one that came into my head um so, so that there is, there is another side to that coin. And I think if there was another team in Serie a who were someone who you felt really good about the management of, you know, if it was Igor Tudor at Verona and you're thinking he's not going anywhere for a while, that's something stable, then maybe I, I would feel differently about it. Um But at the same time, I can definitely see benefits of staying where he is
1: well, you can choose that last but maybe I want Igor Tudor to be our next coach. And then what are you going to do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true. I was thinking about getting fired, but he could get poached and see if Tudor keeps going like this.
1: This is the problem sometimes with teams. You don't know whether they're going to get fired or the coach is so good. You're just going to take him, you know? <laughs> so
0: how do you, what do you do? Maybe that's, maybe that's who, uh, We'll end up replacing Jose at Roma when things uh, go sour. This
1: is, I, I, shouldn't, I
0: shouldn't keep poking this Mourinho bear. I'm going to get in trouble.
1: <laughs> I actually am really enjoying it. Couldn't believe. Because somebody who, uh, like Gab, who hates or, or like, at least criticizes Antonio Conte as much as me, seemed to be so on board with Jose Mourinho and, and so understanding. <laughs> you know, But um, <laughs> well, this is actually an interesting one. I'm going to ask you this question. Mm only because it's also so relevant. And this is from Leo in Manchester, who I uh, assume has been to several heated derbies in that particular city. Um, but the question is, during the Milan derby, we saw Inter and Milan fans sitting together in their team colours at the San Siro, something that would be impossible in England. Is this a normal thing in Italian football? Yeah, well, I guess that Manchester City and United fans might not be sitting in the stands being quite so lovey-dovey with one another as some of the couples that were picked up on by the cameras.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not certain it's true that, that never happens in England, but I do understand the point. I think um, where that does happen in England, um, I suppose the point which he does say in, in the question, you know, the fact that they're wearing their team colours very openly would be quite rare. I think what's fascinating about Italian football stadiums is, this, even within a lot of these stadiums, there's, there's, there's different islands. You know, you could not go into the curva. You could not go into either curva, the north or the Sud and, and be in a, that sort of situation where you've got people wearing colors of the team that is not represented in that curva. You couldn't go wearing. Uh, a a Milan shirt and and sit with the Inter uh, Curva in the Curva Nord and and be with those ultras and think that was going to go down well. You could not do it the other way around in the soot. But actually, the middle parts of the stadium, where it is, even within the middle parts of the stadium, (laughs) yeah, well, it's not all fancy, but even within the middle part of the stadium, there's, there's different sections. And I think there's this really interesting dynamic where you talk to um Italian football fans have talked to plenty who would have defined themselves even as ultras at, at a younger age in their life. And they said, no, I'm older. I'm just a default. I'm just a fan. So it's like there's this maturing process for some fans and they <laughs> go sit in the middle and there's sections of the middle of the of the stadium that are still partisan, but less contentious. And then there are the sections like you're talking about, Mina, that are the fancy sections, which are probably where the camera is going to be trained a lot of the time because you get uh, a certain degree of glamour there. And you certainly have Pretty open mixing in those parts of the stadiums, even in some of the most heated r- rivalries. I would say that Milan Inter, while there's passion there, while they dislike each other, it's not one of the, the nasty rivalries. Like, for instance, the Rome Derby, where you really expect mm. violence outside the stadium often, you know, outside the Rome Derby, things do often get, um, the involvement of riot police, the sort of throwing of, of, uh, Molotov cocktails, things like that have happened much more regularly than 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 for instance at, at the Milan at the Milan Derby. So you don't think you'll see if you're a Fiorentina fan
1: hugging a hunchback fan?
0: <laughs> but but the point is that even at the Rome Derby, I've been at the Rome Derby and where the um press box is, um, which is extraordinary the press box for a Rome Derby, because you go to the press box and if you've come from a, a media environment like uh, um, like I have in, in Britain and, and even covering sports in other parts of the world where you're always told strictly be neutral. You can't show colors in the press box. Oh, at the Rome Derby, there were colors, there were flags, there were scarves in the press box, there were things going on. But where does that, the part of the stadium which that is in, um, you know, the, the, is the area with the most expensive tickets in the stadium uh, around you. There were couples there, even for the Rome Derby, wearing both sets of colors. So. Even some of those um, games that you think of as the most heated, there will be a part of the stadium where it's Normal. expensive tickets, where it's it's just allowed to go and and not be involved in that in that oppositional way. I suppose that that um, that happens in in the the really heated parts of the stadium.
1: I mean, this is this isn't a story necessarily about. I mean, but my boyfriend's an Inter fan. I am a Uv fan. We'll wear our colors and go and, and we'll watch the Dabit Italia and, and he'll annoy mm. me about it. And I'll probably try to like throw him off the ledge most <laughs> of the time, but we'll do it. Um, another story is that I always watch, well, if, if Juventus are in the Champions League finals as a fan. And I remember going to Cardiff to watch it against Real Madrid. Sadly, my tickets were in the middle of what can only be described as like a very vociferous Real Madrid section. (laughs) And there was (laughs) me in my black and white stripes with all the Madridistas. And I don't think I've ever been treated nicer in my life. <laughs> um, I'll tell you that much. Maybe it is because they won and I was so miserable. Maybe it's because I'm pint-sized and everyone felt a little bit sad about bullying me because I'm so tiny <laughs> um, and I'm all five foot three. So, but I'll tell you, they were so fantastic about it. They were like, you know, you really need to start supporting a team that knows how to win Champions League finals, <laughs> you know? And obviously, like... um, I think there's always, like Nikki said, sections where it's totally understandable and totally done. Sometimes I do I wonder whether these things are are overblown, you know? I know this sounds crazy, but you know, when you're like learning to be a policeman, not that this is something that I know on a personal level, but um, you know, they they tell you that, you know, speak to somebody who's trying to rob you or burgle you or whatever and just get the human side and when you do you hope that you'll crack through and when you are speaking to fans no matter how you know loud they are sometimes at least if you are in a certain section where you feel safe I have walked into things that I didn't walk to but when I sort of laugh about it or I don't know they are just still human beings and sometimes people just want to get rowdy but actually they're just really lovable people outside so I don't know But yeah, that's my feeling on it. Um, And I'll show you or I'll I'll hopefully in the next Darby's Italian, nobody dies in in this partnership that I have um, with my beau. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably all we have time for when it comes to the questions this week. But please keep them coming in. But uh, we hope you enjoyed the Sariah Chronicles Q&A. If you haven't yet listened to our main show from earlier in the week with Gabriela Marcotti, then please download that from wherever you get your podcasts. Get your questions in on, twin, on Twitter at Sariah with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Links to all Setia Chronicles social media are in the show notes. And you can find both of us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Rizuki. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And consider supporting the show at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. Thank you from me, Mina. Thank you from you, Nikki. Say bye. Bye. And we'll catch you on the next one. Ciao for now.
0: catchy sign off like Chow for now
1: <laughs> oh yeah wait what are we doing now cool guys so do i hit hang up then or sports social podcast network with the
0: lucky land slots you can
1: get lucky just about anywhere